Hi, welcome to this little PM Extra podcast brought to you from the Sydney University Evangelical Union. This is the Extra podcast coming out in week number seven of first semester here in 2020. This week in EU public meetings, we were looking at Mark chapter four and five small parables that Mark collates together for us and draws together as a key selection about Jesus' parables. And in the regular EU public meeting, we looked particularly at the first three, which was the parable of the sower, uh, probably one of the most well-known of all of Jesus' parables, maybe. Uh, And then the parable of the lamp on a stand, and then the parable of the measure. But I didn't get a chance to talk about either of the next two parables that Mark includes in this collection, which are all um, certainly brought together very deliberately, uh, since they paint a picture, I think, of the ministry that Jesus was doing. The parable of the sower, with the parable of the lamp and the parable of the measure, I think give a bit of an understanding of what response Jesus was getting to his ministry, his proclaiming the message of the kingdom of God. The next two parables, the parable of the growing seed and the parable of the mustard seed, give an indication about the effects of that ministry, or in particular, the parable of the growing seed, which is where I want to focus today, is, I think, a reflection of Jesus' own experience of doing his ministry. So what are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about the ignorance and the impotence of doing Christian ministry, the ignorance and the impotence in doing Christian ministry. I'm going to just lead us in a quick prayer as we come to look at this passage. Heavenly Father, grant us understanding as we look at your word together so that what I share and what we understand from your word might be guided by your Holy Spirit. Please lead us into the truth as you've promised so that we might know you and know your Son and bring him more glory in the way we conduct his work. Amen. Now, I I feel a bit, I'm not nervous isn't the right word, but I do feel a little bit tentative as I share some thoughts on this particular parable, the parable of the growing seed. It's a bit, I, I, look, here, here's, the, here's the issue. Who is the person, who is the man in this case, who is the protagonist in this parable that Jesus shares? That's the question. Let me read out to you the parable as Jesus tells it, as Mark records it for us. Mark chapter 4, starting at verse 26. This is what Mark writes. Jesus also said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. So my question is, who is, in this case, the man, the protagonist, in this particular parable? Who's Jesus speaking about? And I want to suggest that he's speaking about himself. Let's have a little think about the details of this parable. Uh, he starts out by talking about how the seed sprouts and grows. That's plural there. The farmer or the sower here scatters seed on the ground and 
it grows up and produces a crop. So you've got to imagine a field, a, a big field where the, the man, the sower, is scattering his seed and then the seed sprouts and it grows into a crop. But what's interesting in this particular parable is verse 27. It does so, according to Jesus, without the sower really understanding how the seed grows and also independently of what the sower does. He says in verse 27, Night and day, whether the man sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows. So it's irrespective, independent really, of his action. Though the sower, the man, does not know how. So there's some sort of ignorance there as well. Implicitly, what's being said there is that it is God who grows his kingdom. It's not the one who's sowing the seed. God is the one who's growing his kingdom here. Now, this little parable, the parable of the growing seed, which is not picked up in either Luke or Matthew or John, it's it's only recorded for us here in Mark, I suspect that it's part of the background to what then the Apostle Paul shares in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 when he's reflecting on the doing of Christian ministry. You might remember the Corinthian church was in all sorts of bother. They wandered from God's way in so many different ways, walking worldly values into their church gathering and the way they related to each other. And uh, Paul has to say, to address their factionalism at one point, he says in 1 Corinthians 3 verses 5 to 9, he says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God. Who makes things grow. I think that reflects the same sort of understanding that we see in Jesus' parable here of the growing seed. God is the one who grows his kingdom. It's not the one sowing the seed. And I think here Jesus is talking about himself as the sower. That is, I think Jesus is saying, to some level, he shares some ignorance and some impotence in the doing of this ministry. That is, it's not revealed to Jesus himself how the word he has sown will grow. Nor is he himself, as the son, responsible for its growth. Now, why do I say this? Why why do I think that Jesus is talking about himself? Well, the answer really is because of the very last sentence of the parable. What does Jesus say there in verse 29? As soon as the grain is ripe, the man puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. Who's the one who brings in the harvest? Well, surely we would have to say at that point, Jesus is the one who harvests the grown seed when it is time. Jesus is the judge, the one before whom we will all appear. Jesus is the one who will turn and bring in the harvest. That's what leads me to suggest that this is Jesus' own reflection on his experience at that time of doing this ministry, of doing his father's work. So while the parable of the sower reveals the range of responses to Jesus' ministry and why they respond in that way, the parable of the growing seed here reveals maybe Jesus' own experience in sowing that seed and of seeing what fruit the Lord brings from it. Now, we need to be careful here, right? 
I'm suggesting that Jesus is to some level ignorant and to some level impotent. I want to be really careful in what I say here because I want to bring honour to Jesus. Certainly don't want to mean any disrespect or speak falsely about him. Let's just take that apart bit by bit. Is it true that Jesus, to some level, displays an ignorance in his ministry? That some things, as one of my colleagues put it this way, maybe this week, um, maybe more helpfully, that some things are veiled from Jesus? Well, let's think about that. It's certainly clear that at certain points in Jesus' ministry, he, he has what you can only call divine special insight. For example, here in Mark's Gospel, back in chapter 2, verse 8, you remember that moment when the paralyzed man is let down through the roof by his friends in order that Jesus might heal him. And Jesus perceives, we're told in chapter 2, verse 8, Jesus perceives in his spirit the criticisms of the religious leaders after he forgives the man his sins. He knows in his spirit, Mark says, what they were thinking. There was some sort of It wasn't just a guess. There was some accurate insight there that Jesus had. Or say John chapter 4, when he meets the woman from Samaria at the well, and he says, you've had five husbands, and the man you're currently with is not your husband. A divine moment of insight into her life. Or again, maybe in John chapter 1, verse 48, when Nathanael, is brought to Jesus. And Jesus says, I saw you under the tree before Philip called you. That is a moment of divine insight that you know, just a regular you or I, we wouldn't have those sort of insights, right? So clearly Jesus has moments of special insight and yet there's moments of veiling, moments of ignorance too. When he says pick two more examples from the Gospel of Mark here in this account. Um, in Mark chapter 5, when he heals the woman with the bleeding problem, and he, Mark records that Jesus knew that power had gone out from him, but his response was to turn around and say, who touched me? That is, he, he doesn't know at that point, unless Jesus is just playing a game. But that doesn't seem to be the way that Mark's recording it. Jesus turned around and genuinely wanted to know who, who it was who touched him. Or again, Maybe in uh, Mark chapter 13, verse 42, where Jesus says very clearly, only the Father knows the day or the hour when the Son will return. In fact, not even the Son knows, not even the angels know, Jesus says at that point. So clearly, at some level, Jesus lives and ministers with some level of ignorance. He doesn't have all knowledge accessible to him. At the same time, uh, we need to be careful there, right? The Apollinarianism heresy of the 4th century was that in becoming a human being, Jesus the Son took on a human body but retained a divine mind. Now, this was a heresy as Gregory of Nazianzus replied, what is not assumed, what is not sort of taken on by Jesus the Son, is not redeemed. Jesus needed to have a fully human mind 
into, uh, in order to effect our full salvation. So to think that Jesus knew everything in the way his Father knows all, that would be a mistake. I remember a conversation I had with a dear Christian friend and brother um, where I, I posed the question, do you think Jesus, as he walked around Palestine 2,000 years ago, do you think that he knew about microwave ovens? Now, my friend's response was, yes, he would have known about microwave ovens because he was the son of God. He is God amongst us. My response is, no, that actually falls, I think, into the Apollinarianism heresy to think that Jesus had somehow a divine mind, not a fully human mind, not a mind limited in the way our minds are limited with the insights that we have. Now, that doesn't preclude that his Father may have granted him through the Spirit incredible divine insights at times, which is, I think, how we explain some of those moments of insight that I went through before that Jesus knew what people were thinking at times, that he knew the history of the woman at the well in Samaria, that he had had a vision of Nathaniel because his father had revealed those things to him. So, of course, whatever the father revealed to Jesus, his son, was his son's to use and act upon. But that's not the same as saying he knew all things. What What about the thought that at some level Jesus displays some impotence? In his ministry. I mean, that's what the parable seems to suggest here that independent of what the man does, whether he sleeps or gets up, the word grows. Now, we've got to be careful here. I mean, Jesus is about in Mark chapter 4 to calm the storm. That's pretty powerful. That's not impotent. And in Mark chapter 6, he's about to walk on water. So maybe saying that Jesus is impotent is not helpful, actually. We have to be careful of language, don't we? Language really matters. It's probably overstating the case to say that Jesus displays impotence. But maybe there's a better way of saying it. Maybe a better and more accurate way of saying it to what Jesus reveals here in this parable is that he's sharing with us that there's something bigger going on here than just what Jesus the Son is doing. There are more people, if you like, at work. Independent of his actions as the Son, the kingdom of God is moving forward through the work of his Father, by the work of his Spirit. We're going to have to be careful here because I'm not trying to introduce a, a, a separateness in the Trinity. Our God is one, his Father, Son, and Spirit, united in being and purpose. But there is a distinction within the Trinity without a separateness. The Son is not the same as the Father, is not the same as the Spirit, and yet you can never separate them entirely. Whenever one is at work, the others are also at work. But it seems to be here, and as Jesus gives this parable as an insight into his own experience of doing his father's work. He's saying, I am part of something bigger here. A work is going on by my father through the spirit that is separate, or sorry, that is distinct from what I am doing. So what do we do with these reflections? 
If this is the case for Jesus' ministry, that he operates with some level of veiling, some level of ignorance, that he's he's aware that he is not the only one as God the Son at work, he's part of a bigger action, how does that affect us as those engaged in doing Jesus' work, in sharing the good news of the kingdom? How do we respond to this truth? Well, maybe the place to start is to what do we observe, ask this question. What do we observe in Jesus' own ministry? Three things. First of all, Jesus commits himself to proclaiming. Even though he might be ignorant, even though he's aware that he's not in himself the one who is bringing about the fruit of his own ministry, therefore Jesus doesn't give up. No, he commits himself to proclaiming. We saw this already in chapter 1, verse 38. Jesus said, Let us go to the nearby villages so I can preach there also, for that is why I have come. We notice that he's speaking to the crowds publicly and he's speaking to the disciples privately, explaining everything to them. That is, he keeps on sowing the seed in the language of the parable. He keeps on sowing the seed. But secondly, Jesus commits himself to prayer. We saw this also in chapter 1, verse 35. Very early, while it was still dark, says Mark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. That is, he knows he is in humble dependence upon his Father to grow the seed. It's not in his action to produce the fruit. It's his heavenly Father working through the Spirit, as Jesus proclaims the word, that the seed grows. So he ministers in humble dependence on his heavenly Father to work, to grow the seed to maturity, to fruitfulness. And I think there's an appropriate model here in light of our own definite ignorance and impotence in the doing of Christian ministry. Go again to Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, What after all is Apollos and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. That is, we get on and do the work that the Lord has assigned to us in humble dependence, in recognition that we are only servants. It is God who brings the growth. But the third thing I think we can notice here is that there is a harvest date. That was the last line of the little parable. Verse 29, as soon as the grain is ripe, The man puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. That is, there remains an urgency to this task of proclaiming the kingdom of God. The reality of the return of the Lord Jesus and of final judgment and of final salvation means that we give ourselves to this task with an appropriate urgency. We have to remember that the time is short. The moment for Jesus' return is coming soon. I am coming quickly, says Jesus. The moment for the harvest has come. So don't be dispirited by the ignorance or the impotence with which we go about Jesus' work. Our task is to do what the Lord has appointed for us. Keep on sowing the seed in humble dependence upon our Heavenly Father to make it grow through the power of His Spirit as we share Jesus' word. But let's do so not forgetting the time.
not forgetting the urgency of the coming harvest when Jesus returns. I hope there's some encouragement for you there as you think about how to continue in Jesus' work until he comes again.